The Institute of Directors professional development programmes equip learners with the knowledge, skills and mindset to be enterprising and innovative, enabling organisations to become more productive and competitive. The IOD's programmes ensure directors develop an awareness of their interpersonal skills, legal and business knowledge, financial acumen, ethical questioning, decision-making abilities and the highest standards of professional conduct. The IOD is the only institute in the world to offer internationally recognised qualifications designed by directors for directors under Royal Charter. For more information on IOD training, visit iod.com today. Welcome to the Institute of Directors, Leaders and Business podcast, a podcast where we interview directors from all over the UK about their careers and business. I'm your host, Marlene Lowe, founder and director of Tichborne Promotions and long-term IOD member. Richard Hagen has a background that not many people in business will have had, from parish priest to publisher. A common denominator in Richard's career is his passion for helping people. A bit of a black sheep, he realised how he could take experiences from the church to schools to publishing to help businesses share their knowledge through the written word. Okay, so I'm Richard Hagen. I'm actually just brand new back to Scotland after about 25, 30 years down south. Uh, and I'm in a little village at the end of a loch, which is a massive change in the last month from being down on the banks of the River Thames. Wow. So, uh, and I, I run my own publishing company uh, and we've got a couple of different angles on that business. So I'm I'm really excited about the shift to back up to Scotland for lots of reasons. Uh, the B word is part of it, <laughs> but and the the C word is part of it, and realizing being a train station 30 seconds away down down the hill down into London an hour suddenly became completely irrelevant yep. and kind of reassessing. So I'm excited to see what the next few years has as, as I plug the business in up here and mm -hmm. start tapping into Glasgow and the, the other businesses and the creatives up in this part of the world. So really excited to see where that goes. Great. Now, I really want to hear part of your origin story, because as I mentioned before we started the interview, your LinkedIn profile has a very interesting um, introduction, which makes you think, is this all real or is part of this made up to capture attention? <laughs> <laughs> um, probably both. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I've never thought of my origin story. I suddenly feel like I, I should be putting on my superhero outfit or something. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I suppose it's a, it's a little unusual. Is mm -hmm. is my background? I haven't bumped anyone into anyone with the same kind of sequence of of life events and and career um, positions, if you like. So, um, if I work back, no, let's let's start at, start at the, beginning. the beginning. Let's start. <laughs> let's start at the beginning. So, went to Glasgow Uni. Um, and, and a key thing that I seem to notice in my life is I, I seem to dabble in lots of things. So when I was at uni, I did a social sciences degree, did everything from um, economics to management science, to New Testament Greek, to religious studies. <laughs> my majors were philosophy and psychology, my two main courses. Um, 
And I loved that in that course, that ability to jump from one thing to another and start to build connections and, and explore mm -hmm. that. Loved my time at Glasgow. That was back in the day when I used to commute from Greenock. My, my uh, cousin would give me a lift up in the car and, you know, then I'd go to sleep at the union for a while, then go to some lectures and then, you know, carry on. <laughs> and, and I suppose the, the first big decision point was um, at the time of the milk rounds at university and I had been brought up in the west of Scotland in a Catholic community in a Catholic parish there and it was a big part of my life and towards the end of uni I was kind of looking at the Unilevers and the M&Ss and the, mm -hmm. the kind of graduate job scheme things and looking at that and at the same time there was this kind of nagging voice what about going and joined there was a community that had had a big impact on me a community of preachers who mm -hmm. ran events in my parish over a few years and I kept was that little voice of saying uh, what about doing that mm -hmm. and I kind of an event and there were there were all kind of weird coincidences happened that kind of was pushing me towards that so I kind of okay right I'll give that a, a shot and okay. so I then spent the next 22 years or so of my life um, in this community doing mm -hmm. studies and training and then eventually being out and running parish missions, retreats, courses, adult aid, working wow. with school children. So I, I was a preacher, a counsellor, um, project manager, um, <laughs> uh kind of uh latent uh, towards the end a latent father jack if that means anything to you yep. you ever seen father ted <laughs> yep. so that's my so that's 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 like summarizing 22 years i loved what i did the, the work we did i wasn't a regular parish priest i i would go in we would be running these special events kind of renewal events for parishes so people gave me tremendous access to their lives, shared mm -hmm. lots of stuff they would never do with the local guys. Um, and we were part of incredible change journeys in people's lives. And it was good news. The Catholic Church at that point wasn't, still isn't really in many ways, known for being a good news venue. Mm -hmm. um, and our community was very positive, very proactive, very good news and, and affirming in its kind of mission. Um, so that was refreshing for most people in itself. Yeah. Um, and that's what I was all about until the toll for myself kind of it became too much because I was doing that magic work outside and I was coming back to a community that was kind of pretty toxic. And right. I tried for many, many, many years with a small group of people to try and create that change in there, but mm -hmm. ultimately just had to kind of realize that there has to be more I'm not sacrificing myself and my health mm. for for this institution that actually doesn't really care wow um, so so it's brutal so I'm not knocking religion or spirituality I have no problems with that but I have massive challenges with institutions yeah um, and, and maybe I always did so, that, <laughs> so that's the kind of that's that's all that's first adult kind of experience was that and I was, I was super lucky I worked in the states I worked in South Africa I had great experiences all around the UK and different communities so I don't regret a moment of it I loved mm. my work and and for a big chunk of it I loved my life in the community mm. um until I didn't so yeah that was that, was that. 
That's that's quite interesting because even though we're talking about a religious community that of course people face us all the time in there that was your workplace um, and it's no yeah. different to another workplace but to have that faith belief trust in the people that you work for work with and then to find that you're feeling a bit disillusioned and then how do you go about actually making change in your life to to be better and leaving a safe haven. Um, and again, for anyone listening, even though we've talked about a religious institution, I think it can be applicable to any institution, any business, any big conglomerate, any life event where you're part of a group of people. I, I mean, that, you're, you're so right. And I, I, I think I, I had no idea that the same dynamics operated outside of the mm. church community context. And I think the thing, the thing is that it was work and relaxation and finance and relationships and friendships all of those things happened inside that bubble yeah that community yeah. bubble and when I went out to work I was an incredible in an incredibly powerful role mm. you know you would be Father Richard or Father Hagen or whatever God, it feels funny saying that I haven't said that in years. <laughs> Or heard, you heard it, um, I but you were you, you. I didn't have to, I didn't have to do any work. Yeah. To get that, that was it was easy to throw that away if you made some kind of silly mistake or anything. But mm. but actually, you were given that authority. But and then going back and you were in the structure, it was all consuming and all and all controlling, um, which you know is good when that's what you want when you mm. when you when you join up, but. But it also, lots of organisations function like that, even if they don't, they're not in charge of your home life. They're not, you know, saying what you can spend your money on. But actually, I've realised in, in, in then moving into school and working in the school context, actually, mm. the, the kind of tendrils of control and influence stretch out. Uh, and, and then owning your own business, mm. there isn't any separation anymore. No, exactly. No, either. So yeah. it, it's fascinating, this thing around work-life balance. I mean, I get it and I want more balance in my own life, and mm. but it it's not about separating things out. Yeah. It's it's about having a whole view that is healthy for the business, for your team and for yourself. Yeah. And that's where I'm kind of hoping to, to keep evolving that as we go. Yeah. So where did you go after leaving the church? You mentioned schools. Yeah, so I jumped from one massive institution into another one. <laughs> so, uh, so I, one of the things I used to, I used to love doing lots of work in primary and secondary schools. Um, that was part of the the work I would do around the country, um, and so I knew I could definitely teach that, that that I could communicate with the kids, I could create an impact and inspire them and move them and. And get them energized mm -hmm. um so that when i eventually when i went on my sabbatical year which i kind of knew that was it that, that was time was up um i was looking at, at training as a teacher so i applied and got a, a teacher training post but it was an on the job um mm -hmm. course so i did a year's what would be the equivalent of a pgce while i was teaching so i was kind of a mentor or apprentice through that year which was brilliant so had a fantastic mentor was doing all the academic background stuff in the evening and um doing the teaching during the day and also simultaneously set the publishing business up 
So it was like a 5 a.m. till 11.30 p.m. thing with the business <laughs> and with learning to teach and all that stuff. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, and very quickly, you realise you're just in another institution Mm-hmm. that has very inflexible kind of ways of operating and and most of the people who are in leadership and I did use air quotes there I apologize <laughs> I always tell my authors never to use air quotes um yeah they're not leaders yeah they are they're managers and and that I find incredibly frustrating when in a context like education where it's about animating teams and animating your teachers to to be effective inspirers and and nurturers that you have these kind of cultures of um you know buy the box take the box can you know and and you know in that, in that point down in England quite a kind of almost a bullying by the tick box kind of system um so yeah that, that I love the kids love teaching and I've got so many of those like magical watching the light bulbs light up moments with the kids <laughs> had great fun um did some absolutely crazy lessons I remember doing one on um on the digestive system where we had a whole classroom of kids um creating the kind of physical or recreating the physical processes of going to the toilet or eating food and digesting and then getting it all out <laughs> and, and of course best lesson ever um with some of the I can't tell you the lines that one of the kids said during that lesson but but we had great fun um but again two things happened the business started to grow the way we wanted it to so I needed to move in more and more into the business and also just that that eventual kind of being worn down by you know Try, being told to deliver personalized learning but in this very specific way by the box isn't it yeah so it was time to move full-time into the business after that so why publishing um the the obvious answer is that it was something that I thought I could do yeah. because the community that I'd been part of um I from when I was about 2021, 20, 2021, I started writing for them. They ran probably the biggest Catholic publishing company in the UK. Mm-hmm. And so every weekend, every, pretty much every parish in the country would get material from them. One side would be the parish news and the back side of that would be um, kind of inspirational articles, history, theology, all these kind of things and articles on the other side mm-hmm. um, so I was writing for that and then throughout my time in that community I then started writing sermon notes trying to prevent dreadful people suffering dreadful <laughs> sermons we'd at least say well if you can't be bothered to prepare anything please use at least this because it will be more interesting than your normal stuff that kind of thing yeah. um, and I'm realizing how terribly pompous I sound doing all this <laughs> I think, I think, I think, but there is a, there is a sense in, you know, that if you don't, for publish, I think this is actually gets to the publishing thing and being an author. If you mm-hmm. don't think you've got something to say, something yeah. valuable to say, don't bother, get somebody else to do it. And I think that lies at the heart of the publishing mission for me is I'm passionate about helping people who've got a powerful message to get it out there so that they can mm-hmm. change people change situations change results and I experienced that in the publishing company in in 
the church mm-hmm. and then when I met my partner and we were chatting around lots of conversations around what kind of business we wanted and we both had history in these zones we thought let's create a publishing company and that mm-hmm. so it's morphed and it's grown I mean I would say we've had 10 we've we've been going about 12 years now and I'd say the company's essentially been five different businesses in that time because okay. we gradually figured out what specifically our publishing company is about but, right so that's been a whole change journey but yeah publishing for me is about getting messages of transformation out there mm. I'm not interested in data dumps or anything but publishing for transformation so what transformation does that look like what types of transformation do you focus on um it varies depending on the particular author that we're working with. Um, most of the people we work with now are business experts who are kind of on that journey towards leadership. So uh, I'm sure that you, Marlene, you, you bumped into lots of people who are like management consultants or mm-hmm. HR consultants or leadership advisors or, you know, and the, there's this kind of generic pool of thousands of the same kinds of experts around the country. Mm-hmm. And they actually pr- produce brilliant results one-to-one or in small groups. Um, and they should be having a much bigger impact. But they tend to be out out marketed by the slick marketers Mm -hmm. so they're sparkly they've got the big budgets they can attract people um but they don't my experience is they don't actually deliver the results because there's not the substance and delivery okay really great experts have so for us it's about what what transformation can an expert this expert create one-to-one or in their small groups or to their core clients how do we publish that in a way that creates that transformation at scale so if it's a leadership consultant how do we craft their message boil it down to the essentials and create their own ip mm-hmm. in a way that when somebody hears them it's not generic it's a story it's a it's a vision of their field or their topic that changes them mm-hmm. and then the tools that they share equip people to make that change so it can be business results we've got a lot of titles we started out mainly in complementary therapy so we have huge kind of range of stuff in that it's a it's I suppose it's really linked to are these people about empowering their audience mm. change so it's not subject specific it's really that emotion specific it, well it's it's well it's 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 feelings thinking and doing change really yeah. Um, because if you don't have all three it won't last yeah so and I suppose for us you you, it's it's also it's not simplistic change it's what I would call simple change Mm. which um, so transformation real lasting transformation isn't simplistic so there's no instant coffee quick fix quick win you know seven day course to changing (laughs) your business that's the simplistic sale. The simple, the simple sale is the hard one, which is it's about mastery. It's about showing up, doing that thing for 20 minutes every day, thinking deeply about it, doing the work that other people don't do. Mm-hmm. It's simple, but it's not easy. Yeah. And all of our titles, Genuine Empowerment, are really focusing on, on the real mastery dynamics for change. Um, 
that's what that's what excites me also frustrates me because i'd love to to <laughs> kind of you know get those best sellers that are saying sort your life out in five minutes yeah. you know and the world is your oyster but we know it's not real yeah um and in fact it just keeps anesthetizing people whereas mm. the people we work they're about real results um and i suppose that's where my bizarre backstory comes together because mm. as a preacher you're dealing with pe- pe- audiences that have heard the same stories the same parables the same angles on it for 40 years 30 years 20 years and your job as a preacher is to help them experience it as if for the first time in a new way in a way that changes them and moves them but gets them to live differently and I think I have all have pretty much the same idea now Mm. for business leaders because if you're not emotionally engaging getting them to think differently and then take action why are you bothering yeah I really like that what what I like is that regardless of where you've been in your life your focus seems to very much be on being that authentic person so like you said maybe I was never part of the institution or I never liked the institution but from what you've told me so far everything you've done is has been living a very authentic life doing things that was right for you for you sorry um authentic I, I i suppose yes i think in a limited way I don't, uh, that i think i've always had a real desire to you know that classic thing to help other people mm. and i kind of went into certain routes whether it was the church or the the education scene with a kind of glossy picture or rose tinted picture of how I could achieve that in by working through this particular community or or organization mm-hmm. um I think in some ways in the church there were whole areas of my life that weren't real weren't authentic and yeah. and when as I as I grew up I suppose as an adult and you you suddenly realize that there are these huge areas of my life that are in disconnection with this institution or the the way they talk about people or um so I think it's when when any change that I've made has come when I suppose that inner authenticity has rubbed up against how an organization works and actually the more more people I meet in business who have shifted careers or shifted roles and unless it's purely for the more money or the step up the career ladder mm. most people are changing careers for very similar reasons where that that aspect of themselves no longer fits and they treasure it so they'll go to where that is allowed out yeah um yeah so i'm kind of i, I, I i'm kind of suspicious of words like authentic <laughs> Because I think, you know, the only time we're authentic, you know, is when we're standing naked in our bedroom. (laughs) When there's nothing, there's no pretense, there's no uniform, there's no mask, there's no show going on. It's just this person in this body. You know, so I know what it means, but also I'm kind of, I think we've got lots of kind of strange notions around it. Yeah. 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 So... So I'm really curious to find out your your passion about change and influencing change, helping people change. Where did that start? 
Ähm I think it's just that's just always been part of my life. So mm -hmm. not not consciously, obviously, yeah. but I think so. When I was young, I in school, I I was a singer. I was in the choir. I did solos. Uh, went in for competitions, all that stuff. And I think that being able to make people smile or clap or or kind of enjoy something, you mm. know, that whole performer thing. And there is a bit large bit of me, which is that kind of performer. Um, so that's creating change mm. for that moment or for the duration of, the, of that thing that I loved. I then, you know, and then writing and realizing you can change, you can change how people think mm. when you're a thousand miles away and you did, you wrote this six months ago. Yeah. That's kind of magical. I think. I think it's like it's like having remote controller access inside <laughs> someone's head, where you're speaking. They're speaking your words inside their own head in their own yeah. voice. I mean, that's magically hypnotic. It is. Yeah. So, so that 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 I was always kind of into writing and literature, and all that stuff. But I think I think it's just one of those constant threads of my life that. that I think for me it began as entertaining, mm -hmm. um, and it's now much more about about transformation, about persuasion for change. Um, and I always felt that I was a real dabbler, a real kind of jack of all trades. So I would, mm -hmm. I'd be a bit of a storyteller, be a bit of a preacher, be a bit of a counsellor, I'd be a bit of a project manager, a bit of all this mm -hmm. stuff, a bit of a teacher. You know, all all of those things. Um, but then when we were working with other authors, suddenly going, oh, my gosh, I get it. And this is all <laughs> about how to help people communicate for this very specific purpose, yeah. which is to change. And suddenly that kind of jack of all trades boom almost felt like a laser like preparation for what I do now. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel very lucky to have that experience rather than have these separate bits of my life yeah they've, they've all worked together to create this um and that that that's that's where I see transformation journeys it's not about mm. shutting things off or closing it's about bringing together your history your stories your experience and and presenting that in a kind of laser-like way that 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 impacts other people mm. um, and gives them a sense that they can really create change for themselves. Is there any message that you would want to share with the audience? In the business world, in the kind of entrepreneur world, there's such a focus on leadership. Mm -hmm. and, and in my world of publishing, I kind of cringe. I look, I go onto LinkedIn and I, I see people describing themselves as thought leaders. Mm. That's just, I have a whole, whole kind of, my hackles rise when I see that phrase and I hear it because it usually means pretty much the opposite. I call it the regurgitation leaders. You just say the same stuff as everybody else, but call themselves thought leaders, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a fundamental, I think for me, um, and it's the irony in being part of your po podcast <laughs> around <laughs> leaders and leadership. But I, I think the thing is it's leadership is not a role yeah. that, that um, you're in. 
yeah, you can be the owner of a business, you can be the manager or the CEO or the chief operations officer. That is not leadership. Leadership is not actually something that you have. It's it's what is given to you, what is what's recognized in you by your team, by your audience, by your market. Mm. And and I think there are so many people who are trying to kind of um, they think they deserve to be a leader. Mm. Actually, that's entirely up to your audience, to your team, to your business, to to see what what kind of person you are and the results you create and the way you create them. Mm-hmm. That 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 is the heart for me of what leadership is and and hopefully what I strive for on a good day. Mm-hmm. So maybe not the most inspiring of messages, but I think it's that it's 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 kind of let's make it real. Let's get yeah. away from all these romantic notions or captains of industry kind of things and think about it's not that you say you're a leader but it's the people beneath you around you with you and your team that choose you or or elevate you to their leader The Institute of Directors is in the heart of all major cities and continue to represent your point of view as a business leader, both locally and nationally. Our objective is to ensure that your views are taken into account when the government is reviewing policy, legislation, or seeking the opinions of the wider business community. If you're interested in joining the IOD, please visit www.iod.com. Join the conversation and share your thoughts on today's episode by engaging with us on Twitter or joining the LinkedIn group.